We start with British Columbia's emergency response system. It's under so much pressure here now. And this is just like a quadruple whammy that we've seen in the last few weeks. We had the deadly heat wave, the wildfires, the COVID-19 pandemic, of course, been dragging on over a year. The opioid overdose crisis continuing to take lives at a record pace every month. This is putting so much pressure on our first responders, police, fire, paramedics, and the people who uh, deploy them through the emergency response system. Have a listen to this now. This is incredible. This is a BC paramedic here. You're going to hear a report here from Global News. This is a BC paramedic calling out uh, the CEO of the emergency health system in British Columbia, Darlene McKinnon. There is a, a petition has started to fire her. This paramedic speaking out. Her voice is disguised here. This report from Global News. Have a listen here. Executives need to stand up. They need to take accountability, uh, acknowledge their part in this mass casualty incident. They need to apologize unreservedly, and they need to resign. And if they won't resign? If they won't resign, then the Minister of Health needs to take the appropriate action and terminate them for their gross incompetence. Okay, let's discuss now with my guest, Warren Leader. Warren is a mental health and wellness coordinator with the Ambulance Paramedics of BC. I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Warren, thanks a lot for coming on. Hi, Mike. Uh, Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. This boy, that job must be tough for you these days as the mental health coordinator for the paramedics. Can you tell me what that has been like here in the last uh, while with so much pressure on paramedics? Um, Sure. Um, For me, I'm not going to sit here and say it's been tough for me. Um, You know, I'm a 20-year paramedic, but uh, in the past couple of years, I haven't been on car that much, to be honest. I mean, I I do have a certain amount of understanding, whereas I worked in um, stations where we would do 12 to 15 calls a shift, and a lot of these were very serious, very sick patients. So I've, I've done the volume. But to be honest, uh, I, I'm not going to say that I can sit here doing my job and say that it's hard. What's hard is, is for our paramedics and dispatchers to go out there every day when, they're, uh, when we're understaffed. And, um, you know, all the, with all the, with the, you know, you talked about the opioid epidemic, yeah. uh, the increased workload, uh, you know, the weather. It's, there's so many variables. So uh, for I've had to have some very difficult conversations uh, with people on a daily basis, and we're trying to ensure that our members have the supports. Uh, there is support for people, and uh, just the calls, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, there is, you know, I'm not broken. I'm not, you know, I, I might be a slight, slight injured, but uh, I'm operating well, so... Um, it's just extremely difficult for our crews out there right now. Yeah, what was it like during the heat wave for paramedics? I mean, we had hundreds of deaths, sudden deaths in British Columbia during this unprecedented heat wave. Uh, we heard a lot of terrible stories about a system that just didn't rise to the challenge. People waiting hours for ambulances. In some cases, ambulances sitting idle, empty, unstaffed, while people were literally dying and crying for help. Uh, I mean, that's got to be brutal on paramedics who are just trying to do their job and save people. But your thoughts? Well, I mean, brutal. Yeah, I mean, that's one way of putting it. Um, I'm not going to get political with this because this has been a situation we've been understaffed for years now. Uh, We knew because we put out a position statement on the effects of a uh, pandemic on our members uh, once this all started, what was going to happen. 
Uh, we are an emergency service. We ought to be prepared to deal with emergencies. Uh, can I say, though, right now that I just want to preface what I'm going to say is that this what we're going to talk about hopefully this morning is, is going to be uh, illuminating for certain people. Um, if somebody gets triggered listening to this today, please reach out, uh, in particular, our members, whether they wear a stethoscope or a headset, paramedics or dispatchers, that they reach out to our CISM team. They can call me directly. We also have our EFAP uh, home with health uh, through the employer. So to do that, um, I- I'm going to tell you, I've, I've, I have many conversations. I-, I sit here in my office and people call me and I reach out to them. And uh, I had one member who, when I'm checking in with them, uh, they are beside themselves. Uh, they start to cry and they talk about having a patient in the back going, in particular during the heat wave, from home to home to home and just uh, body to body to body, uh, these sudden deaths of people that uh, they haven't been able to get to. And uh, this causes a moral injury. And um, it's, it's really hard. And people can't, can't square it. And when I tell them they have to look at themselves, it's not their responsibility to shoulder the whole ambulance service onto themselves. They just tell me, and I might get emotional telling this, they just tell me that they recognize that. But if they stay home, and they don't show up for work, all they would do is just be sitting there thinking about the people that, that didn't get an ambulance because they didn't show up. So it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's injurious and it's, um, it's unsustainable. Speaking to Warren Leader, he is the mental health and wellness coordinator for BC's paramedics, uh, talking about the strain on first responders. Over the last couple of weeks, let me play this here for you, Warren. This is a, a BC paramedic, again, once again, here talking to Global News. Her voice is disguised here. You'll hear her talking about how her coworkers are feeling. I have never seen paramedics and dispatchers as angry uh, as they are right now. Everyone is absolutely livid and disgusted with the response from BC Ambulance. Okay, I'm sure you would likely agree with that, Warren. Let me play another clip here for you. Darlene McKinnon, who's the Chief Operating Officer of BC's Emergency Health Services. We've got this online petition going now calling for her to resign. And a lot of people were upset with an interview, once again, she did with Global News. Uh, And here she is saying that she actually thought that the system responded well during the heat wave. Here it is. I think that... We've done a very good job in the response. Yeah, I mean, that. can you comment on that, Warren, when, when the paramedics heard that, when they heard the, their, the boss, the person at the top, saying they thought they, you know, the system did well, they responded well, it was a good job? What do you think? Well, I'm not. What I will say is that um, everyone in the system, from BCHS to the union to PHSA, we all want to look after our patients, we all want to do a good job with that. We want to look after our employees. There's nobody that is willingly trying to hurt anybody here, and we're all trying to do the best that we can. It's difficult to form relationships with people when you're doing Zoom meetings, etc. It's hard to maintain relationships. We need to be in the same rooms because I can tell you from the ambulance side of things, we have a lot of experience. We know what we have to do to get things right and to do it right. And there have been proposals put forward, and we're meeting with with. Um, dicks and and just and and the managers etc but i just want to say that um i think what what was actually should have been said or ought to have been said is that that the paramedics that are out there right now are doing a good job we are 
there's just too many calls. You're right, right. And they're really just not feeling supported. And I've always just part of this or otherwise, I can say you cannot manage your way out of a crisis. You have to lead your way out of a crisis. What I want to hear is I want to hear it. I don't know. I don't know who's going to say it. We've been saying it. There are so many good initiatives out there. There are so many things in the work that are very good things. There's new resources coming. I'm interested in how we're going to staff those resources. That's another story, and we have a solution for that. But there's so many good initiatives out there, and it's being lost because we need somebody to go out there and say, look, we got this. We know it's difficult. We need to do better. We can do better, but we really need to put the mirror up and look at ourselves. Okay, Warren, last question for you. Does this basically come down to a staffing issue? You mentioned that the paramedics who are out there on the front lines and they're responding to the pleas for help during this deadly heat wave, they did obviously the best they could and, and, and very heroically, probably I'm sure, in many instances, but they just seem to be, I don't know, they were overwhelmed. There were There's too many calls, people waiting for hours, not getting the calls, people desperately going to fire stations to try and get help because an ambulance didn't show up. I mean, at the end of the day, like, what is the, what is required here? Is it a, a staffing issue? You need more ambulances on the street? You need more paramedics? Is that what it comes down to? Um, it, it's not that simple. That is a huge component of it. Obviously, that'd be number one, recruitment and retention. We need right. to get people in those seats. But we need to get the right people in those seats. We need to be able to support them. Uh, we had a, a recent death by suicide. And I can tell you that we need better processes in place. Um People, paramedics especially, they identify so much as being a paramedic. And when that's gone, what do we have left? Uh, We have all these tools and resources, and we need to be able to inform and educate our members on how to get them, how to make it available. I can tell you that we have an initiative that, through negotiations, uh, got monies for fatigue management, and we have a course ready to go. We need to make sure every single one of those uh, members take, take that. So whatever we can do to get this out there, we need to end the stigma. We need to talk about this injurious work that we do because it's, and people get frustrated with me when I say this, but this is a job that if you do it long enough, you will have an operational stress injury. You will get injured. Just like, like if you're running, you do that long enough, you're going to get a little injury. You roll your ankle. You think, Oh, okay, I need to rest. I need to do this, that, go to my doctor, whatever you need to do, get a brace. We need to start making that approach for, or taking that approach for mental health. Warren, thank you for coming on today with your thoughts. Very grateful to you. Thank you, Mike. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about a couple of fascinating class action lawsuits now. One of them targets Pornhub over so-called revenge porn, intimate sexual photos of people uploaded to the porn website without their consent. Can people successfully sue for that? Also, Amazon drivers taking on one of the most powerful companies on the planet, my guest is the lead lawyer on these cases, Louis Sokolov. He is with uh, Soto, Sotos Class Actions, one of the leading class action lawyers in Canada. Louis, thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it a lot. Let's start with the uh, Louis, the Pornhub case right now. And people might be surprised to know, like Pornhub, it's uh, owned by a Canadian parent company, correct? Yes, I, it, it's owned by a complicated web of companies. But the the main operations are in Montreal. There's about a thousand employees in Montreal, and that's where the brain trust of the organization is. Right. That's that's interesting to know. Can you tell me about this class action you're trying to get off the ground here? 
Sure. This is a class action that's brought in the province of Quebec against uh, MindGeek, which is the parent company of Pornhub and its related companies, uh, on behalf of all persons who had p- uh, images or videos of them posted on Pornhub uh, and its related websites without their consent. And, right. and there is a um, whole spectrum of material that has been posted, millions and millions of images, ranging from uh, intimate photographs that uh, someone may have taken of themselves or someone else may have taken of them, been posted on Pornhub without their consent, uh, all the way through to uh, you know the, the most horrible instances of videotaped uh, uh, childhood sexual assault or rape, uh, and so uh, these kind of this kind of material has been available for viewing and download on Pornhub and its websites for for a number of years. Pornhub did not take any material steps to remove this material until uh, December of last year. Right. So, uh, as you can imagine, uh, the effect on the people who've been the subject of this material to have it uh, broadcast to the world on Pornhub has been uh, devastating to many people. It's ruined a lot of lives. Oh, yeah. I have no doubt. I have no doubt that that is is true, and certainly people would deserve justice for that, for sure. Um, Pornhub, I guess... They did try to change their rules or something at one point that you just you just briefly referenced there. What did they actually do, and did it have any impact? Um, well, yes and no. I mean, yeah. they changed their procedures in December of last year to uh, remove all material that was posted by what they say is unverified uh, um, users. Right. So in the past, virtually anybody could post a video or a picture on Pornhub uh, without taking, without actually having to verify who they were. So now Pornhub uh, requires the, 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 the person who posts it to verify who they are. The problem is, of course, is that doesn't mean that the subject uh, of the, the video or the photo has actually given their consent. Right. So. So, so the answer is, sorry, the long answer to the short question is it's better than it was. It's still extremely problematic. But for the whole period before December of last year, it was the Wild West uh, on Pornhub. And uh, as I say, there were, uh, well, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of images that were non-consensual in nature uh, that were published there, available for download, um, available for everybody to see. I know that... Uh- I know that you're going to say, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, and this affects not just persons in Canada, but persons uh, around the world. Right. I know that your uh, class action, Lewis, is not the only legal effort against Pornhub. Do you know what, what is the case law on this? Like has Pornhub or any of these big online porn companies, have any of them been successfully sued for material that's been posted on their site? There, there have been a number of cases. There have been a number of cases brought by individuals, uh, and uh, they've had varying degrees of success. There, the cases that have been brought in the United States have run up into some serious hurdles, mostly because of specific laws in the United States that protect uh, internet companies from litigation. That kind of law doesn't uh, exist in Canada, so so we think that there is uh, very little 
for Pornhub to say in defense of this case. Uh, we think that the evidence against them is overwhelming, that they were, were negligent in the way that they approached their business. And so we anticipate that this case is going to be successful. Okay, well, we're following that one with keen interest. My guest is Louis Sokolov, Sotos Class Actions. Uh, he's represented consumers, employees, investors in some of the biggest class action lawsuits in Canada. Let me ask you about the um, the class action against Amazon now from Amazon drivers. And this is really fascinating to me. I was read, reading a story about the Amazon driver in the United States the other day who got fired by, effectively fired by a robot. They, they got like an algorithm there that ma- effectively manages uh, Amazon drivers. And if you don't, deliver enough parcels on time i guess you can get automatically fired through a computer generated email pretty cold way to get fired but can you tell me about the uh the class action against amazon sure um this is a class action on behalf of all amazon drivers in canada and they really fall into two groups there are people who work for companies that are known as uh Amazon delivery service partner. So they will technically work for a subcontractor of Amazon. But what they are doing, and I'm sure these people are are the ones who are largely delivering parcels to to your house, to my house, to your listeners' houses, that they are um, working entirely for Amazon, delivering Amazon packages uh, day in, day out, notwithstanding that their technical employer is a third-party company. So the class action alleges that Amazon is the true employer, uh, the the common employer uh, among those people. And and what that means is to the extent that these drivers are being paid less than minimum wage, and some of them are, to the Mm. extent that they are not being paid for their holiday pay, for their overtime pay. And so, for example, in in British Columbia, um, commercial uh, short haul drivers, which is what these folks would be, uh, are entitled to time and a half after nine hours uh, in a day or 45 hours in a week. Uh, to the extent they're not getting that, they, then we say Amazon is on the hook for it and, and owes mm. the money. How many? Uh, also, how many Amazon drive? How many Amazon drivers are in Canada? Uh, we, we don't have the precise number because uh, that's within. That's something that Amazon hasn't told us yet. We will find mm-hmm. out uh, eventually, but we expect it's in the tens of thousands. I mean, you uh, uh, you only need to see uh, the amount of Amazon deliveries that are happening in your community and in, yeah. in all of our communities to get a sense of the scope of this. There are, I expect, tens of thousands of people who are affected by this. Lewis, if uh, people the, if people want more information about these class actions, maybe they maybe they're an Amazon driver. They they're interested in knowing about this class action lawsuit, or or maybe they feel like they've been victimized by revenge porn on on you porn. Is is there a website where they can go to get more information about these suits? Sure, they can come on to my firm's web website. It's Sotos Class Actions, S O T O S Class Actions, right. plural dot com. And all the information is there. Okay, we're going to follow it closely. Thanks a lot for coming on to talk about it today. Thank you for having me. The Tokyo Summer Olympics, uh, just a little over two weeks away now. That's super exciting. Let's talk about American sprinter Shikari Richardson now. 
banned from competing in the 100 meters in Tokyo after she tested positive for marijuana, specifically THC. Is this fair? Is marijuana really a performance-enhancing drug for an athlete? Some people might argue the opposite, that it's a performance-reducing drug. Either way, Shikari Richardson, one of the fastest women in the world, will not be competing in the 100 meters in Tokyo. Have a listen to this now. She has said that she uh, did smoke some pot to deal with the pressure of qualifying for the Olympic Games and also uh, the recent death of her mother. Here she is in conversation on the Today Show. I was just thinking it would be a normal interview, and then on the interview to hear that information come from a complete stranger was definitely triggering was definitely nerve shocking because it's just like how are you to tell me that like you know it's like and not no offense against him at all he's just doing um his job but definitely that sent me in a state of mind in a state of of emotional panic if anything mm-hmm. and still knowing that i still even though i'm here i still have to go out and put on a performance for um put on a performance for my dream go out there and still compete Okay, there she is describing how she got the news that her mother had passed away through a news report. All right, is it fair uh, that she should be banned from competing in the 100 meters in Tokyo? She won the right to compete there at the U.S. Olympic trials where she put on a terrific performance and won the 100 meters, giving her the right to uh, compete in the 100 meters in Tokyo. But after she tested positive for marijuana, she accepted a 30-day ban and she will not be competing. Breaking news on this one now, she will also uh, will not be competing in the relay in Tokyo. She's been left off the Olympic list for the United States even after her 30-day suspension for marijuana. So she will not be going to Tokyo, period. All right, my next guest I think can probably commiserate and feel her pain. Ross Rebliati, the Canadian Olympic gold medalist snowboarder uh, who won in 1998 in Nagano, also in Japan. Ross is the founder of Ross's Gold, Medic- gold Medical Marijuana. And I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Ross, thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, Ross, let's go back to 1998. And uh, the event that really changed your life, winning the gold medal in, in snowboarding. Can you just remind us, like, I think you were the, weren't you the first guy to win a gold medal in snowboarding at the Olympics? It was the first time snowboarding was at the Olympics, and yeah. uh, we were the first event of the Nagano Olympics. Wow, yeah, that's awesome. What was that like? Can you put it into words? There's no words for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was it was the first time as an athlete that we were going to the Olympics, so that was a huge novelty in itself just to make the Olympic team. The fact that snowboarding was going to debut for the very first time as an Olympic sport, full medal sport, um, wasn't lost on us either. So it was, um, the anxiety was through the roof. Yeah, no, that's amazing, and you certainly did Canada proud, and I remember watching you that day, and man, that was that was a, a wonderful day. Then, how did you get the news after you had won the gold medal that you had tested positive for marijuana and they took your medal away? How did that go down? Uh, we were in my room uh, up at the ski resort, Shikakogan, when, um, and some of the athletes and friends, um, you know, were there, other competitors looking, you know, seeing the gold medal, and um, you know, it was quite a big novelty and the coaches, coaches came in my room and told me, uh, told everybody to, to get out and for me to sit down. So that was, that was literally, um, how I got the news. Yeah. And what was that like? 
Oh, man. Jeez. Uh, you know, the feeling just left my legs. So it was a good thing they told me to sit down. You know, yeah. I felt light, lightheaded. You know, it was really a, a nightmare scenario. Oh, man. Oh, man. So when you heard that, um, did you, like, I, I'm trying to recall, like, you had actually, did you admit to using marijuana before the Olympics? Is that what that is that what happened there? Yeah. So I, um, to explain how I tested positive, um, yeah. you know, I, I, what I had done was I stopped using it myself um, in April, but then I, I continued to hang out in the same environment uh, when I was at home, when I wasn't on tour. And um, so passively inhaling cannabis smoke uh, leading up to the right. Olympics and not, not aware that, um, you know, for example, the, the three drug tests that I did prior to Nagano all were made public after my, um, the controversy while I was in Japan. And so I had tested positive for cannabis and all three of my drug tests before I went to Nagano that year and yeah. nothing was ever said of it. So it was, uh, I think it, what it turned out to be was, um, you know, an oversight, uh, can on the world cup tour, cannabis was on the list of banned substances, but the IOC list of banned substances did not include cannabis. And so we went there prepared for cannabis to be on the list. And that's why wow. I stopped smoking. And then yeah. as it turns out, we learned, um, just randomly through the, the two appeals that we lost and then going through the court of arbitration that in fact, cannabis wasn't even on the list. Right. And then, of course, they famously gave you the medal back. I mean, this was like uh, a worldwide reaction to this story at the time, Roz. And I think most people were saying, like, give the kid his medal back. Like, come on. You're telling well, me you're going to take his medal away for marijuana. So how did that happen that they, they, event, they did give you the medal back? Well, like, like you said it, um, cannabis wasn't on the list of banned substances. So yeah. I didn't break any rules, which is there's a huge difference. What happened with Shakari Shakari, and you know she knowingly broke the rules because you know she found out her mother died and you know in my opinion it was a, a very safe and responsible way to deal with her her mom's passing and and in light of so many destructive options that sometimes people come up with um to deal with life and so in perspective it was actually a safe choice for her you know to use but for me you know it was a little different of a story where i hadn't broken any rules and i still tried to take my medal away yeah and so there's a huge difference there yeah no for sure because now now marijuana is on the banned substance list for the olympics correct so dick dick pound added cannabis to every single sport the summer of 1998 right. and it's a unified um that list of banned substances for every sport, whereas before me, each list for each sport was slightly different. Like synchronized swimming had cannabis on it. Freestyle skiing had cannabis on it. But, you know, because of creativity and things like that. But other sports didn't because they were just pure, um, you know, power sports or something like it. I don't know. Hmm. So now they've got it streamlined where the list of banned substances is the same for each sport. And, um, you know, you can you know, trace the cannabis um, being added right back to uh, my, my experience. Right. Speaking of Ross Rebliati, Canada's Olympic champion snowboarder. And, okay, Ross, let's talk about the situation here with uh, American uh, sprinter Shikari Richardson, banned after testing positive for cannabis, one of the fastest women in the world, uh, not allowed to compete in the 100 meters in Tokyo. Um, what do you think about that? Well, it's it just shines the light on a crappy rule. Um, you know, whatever the consequences are, uh, for 
Shakari are are what they are, and she's fully accepting them. And she knew she was cognizant of what she was doing, and and accepted the consequences. Uh, knew what they were while she was doing it. That's not the point here. The point isn't that you know she broke the rules and that she should still compete. We're not arguing that. We're saying cannabis shouldn't be on the list of banned substances. It's not a performance enhancer in the traditional sense of the of the meaning, and um, there's no business. Uh, for it, you know, to be on the list of banned substances, which is only there to create a level playing field. And then there shouldn't be any social issues on that list uh, whatsoever. And so, you know, the, the Olympics is really taking it upon themselves, um, you know, to create a social issue when really they should be focusing on a level playing field. Right. It's interesting to look at uh, cannabis and and debate whether it's a performance enhancing drug in in athletics or not. Like I'm looking, took a look at an article that appeared in the British Journal of Sports Medicine a few years back, and it described THC, which is the primary psychoactive ca- compound in cannabis. It says it creates a certain heaviness, marked relaxation, and excessive fatigue in the limbs. And so, therefore, you'd think like, well that would make it the opposite of performance enhancing. That would maybe be performance decreasing drug. On the other hand, you could argue that cannabis can put you you in a more relaxed and positive frame of mind. And maybe that would be a performance enhancing drug before an event. Like, do you have any thoughts on, on that? Millions of thoughts on that. First of all, wow. cannabis isn't something that these athletes are using during competition. This isn't a, a thing where you're taking an edible or a secret vape hit of your pen or whatever right before your competition. That's not where this is happening. This is happening out of out of competition um, on a day to day. And and for that matter, muscle relaxants are you know make your arms and limbs feel you know heavy. And you know massage does that, and hot tubs do the same thing. You know, can, the effects of cannabis aren't long-lasting, you know, to affect your performance like the next day or, or anything like that. Um, so there's performance-enhancing qualities to, to cannabis if you want to call it performance-enhancing. I would argue that because of prohibition, we're, we're looking at it as a performance-enhancing thing, but our bodies have an endocannabinoid system in it that's been literally deficient of cannabinoids since prohibition. That'd be like everyone walking around deficient in vitamin C or B12. Um, A low CBD uh, content in your body and your cannabinoid um, system has huge effects like anxiety, depression, all kinds of other um, physiological things that um, when you're topped up in your endocannabinoid system, your cells can actually perform twice as many functions in your body um, like all of your other cells. Can, can do more than, than usual. So when you're topped up, you're, you're operating at optimal performance. So that's not performance enhancing. It's just optimal. As if you're mm. dehydrated from water. If you're not hydrated, you're not going to be running at optimal. You, you could say water is performance enhancing because if you're dehydrated, you could die from it. Um, what, you know, so what, what about, let's say, a sport that has some creative elements to it? Like I think you mentioned earlier, maybe something like, I don't know, synchronized swimming, I I believe you said. Mm -hmm. Like, if you have a sport where there is an artistic performance component to it like that, could cannabis be seen as a performance enhancing in a sport like that? It's subjective, I think. It depends on who you're asking. Um, You know, the the reason why cannabis was on the list of banned substances for synchronized swimming was because of the potential for extra creativity. 
my argument is that it shouldn't it should be off the list whether it's performance performance enhancing or not like you know bananas are good for you should they be on the list of banned substances like there's so many things that are good for you and are natural that aren't on the list of banned substances now because cannabis is good for you and natural that doesn't qualify it to be on the list of banned substances it should be promoted as a healthy natural alternative to other illegal you know narcotics that are that may be psychoactive and lend itself to creativity like no one's banning all these other narcotics that are illegal or doing background checks on athletes to see if they have any sort of a criminal record that's illegal like you know so it's really like a stretch for anything that's not a performance enhancer in the traditional sense to be on the list of banned substances and they're really dabbling in a social issue what about um what about alcohol is that banned Alcohol is not banned, and there's beer uh. gardens at the Athletes' Village. Um, you can drink before your event if that's what you do. Nobody get, wow. nobody cares. No one cares. Yeah. You ask the athletes out there if anyone cares, if anyone's smoking weed, they don't care. Yeah, I think most fans would probably agree with you. No one cares. Uh. The only people who care are the corporate sponsors and the people who are worried about the corporate sponsors. Ross, it's been great to talk to you about this issue. We'll see where it goes from here. Thank you very much for your time today. Thanks for thinking of me. Appreciate it.